and welcome to the official League Gun podcast, bringing you exclusive interviews from around the world. Now, coming up, Robbie Thompson speaks to the former Australia international Robbie Slater, who made a huge impact during his four seasons in northern France with Lens back in the early 90s. The red-haired kangaroo, as he calls himself, speaks with honesty and emotion and uses some colourful language as he meets our very own resident Aussie. Please do rate the interview on our various podcast platforms and stay tuned for more exclusive content. For now, though, sit back and enjoy Robbie Thompson's chat with the inimitable Robbie Slater. Robbie, you, uh, you, you left Australia where you were already uh, an established player in, in, in the NSL in Australia for Belgium. And then things didn't necessarily work out there. You found your way to, to Lens. What did you know about Lens and how did the deal come about? Necessarily didn't have a great time in, uh, in Belgium. Well, that would be an understatement. I had a fucking nightmare <laughs> in Belgium. And uh, this, this is a very long story. And so I'm not going to go on about my time at Underlet. Okay. It's uh, a fantastic club. But um, it was down to my, my own fault. Ed De Moss was a very well-known coach under like for a big team in those days. And uh, look, I, I'd been I'd been told as a foreigner, and I was told by Ed De Moss very quickly um, that I wouldn't play many games because he already had seven foreigners that I'd be used for Belgium Cup games. Um, um, and basically, that was that's what he said. But anyway, there was a lot of factors that contributed to a very depressing year. Mm-hmm. And under leg one, and which led to a lot of contemplation. At the end of that season, I really had nowhere to go. I had nowhere to go, and the future looked bleak. I had another year of my contract at Underleg, but it didn't uh, to face another year as I, I had just had, uh, which I basically call in my career a non-year. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, uh, that that wasn't a possibility. In spite of all that, I went off to Croatia with with uh, a very famous Australian player, Eddie Kronjevic, who had spent time at Malouz mm-hmm. and obviously was was a well-known player who had played at Underlay, Um with his wife. Uh, and also, I went with my girlfriend who had come over with her sister, a girl called Pam Bosnich, who I'd introduced to a very famous player called Milan Jankovic, who actually now lives in Australia. Uh, he played for Anderlecht. He'd come from uh, he'd come from Real Madrid, and before that, he was with the very famous Red Star Belgrade. So this was a big player. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we became very, very good friends. And we anyway, off we off we toddled to, to Croatia. We actually drove there in Milan's <laughs> car, myself and the two sisters. Uh, Eddie went on by his own way. I think he flew over. Um, and we drove right through Yugoslavia, which was an experience in itself because a year, a year later, war would break out mm-hmm. in that country. And it was, it was an amazing, amazing drive through, through most of Germany and through Austria up into the, the, the mountains uh, that bordered Australia, Austria. Uh, Yugoslavia and Italy, mm-hmm. down through Vojvodina to Belgrade, down to to Mostar, uh, Sarajevo, Dubrovnik, and up to Split. Now I'm not going to go through the details of the holiday. Okay. But uh, when I was in uh, Dubrovnik, uh, my phone went at the hotel.
all we were staying in. And it was Vladi Paskovic, who was my agent, who Eddie Kontrovic had introduced me to. And he said, mate, you've got to come back. I've got a trial for you at a, at a club called Long. And I said, where is that? <laughs> and he said, they're a second division club in France. Uh, you know, they want to go back. They're a big club, he told me, a massive club in France that have fallen on hard times. Uh, they're interested in you only because of, you know, I've told them you're an underlet player. Um, because of that status, you, you get to get a, a look in. And I said, well, mate, that sounds very nice. I said, but I'm on holidays. I'm in Dubrovnik. Because the trial was four days away. Okay. And I said, mate, there's no chance I'm coming back. It's just, yeah. well, four, second division phones. Uh, I don't think so. And I put the phone down. <laughs> and Vladi, obviously, not, but not to be outdone, called Eddie. Kronchevic and Milan Jankovic because obviously they knew them both mm -hmm. and I got a call from Eddie uh, to meet me in the lobby of the hotel in 10 minutes and I didn't even connect the two <laughs> <laughs> and uh, anyway I walked, walked down the lobby and I looked at my watch and it was uh, just after lunch 2pm and uh, I thought to myself geez, bit early for a beer I wonder what this is about and um, anyway, Eddie was there with Melan looking very serious and they looked at me and, and Eddie just looked at me and said, mate, you got to go. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, you got to go. you got to go to France. you got to go to this trial. Uh, this is a great opportunity for you. you got to go. I said, oh, uh, typical me. I said, well, how am I going to get there? And Milan said, you're going to take my car. I said, yeah, fucking good one. Well, I'm going to drive here on my own to take to, to Brussels and, and then drive down to France, uh, where I've never been. Forget about that. That was not only an hour-long trip. The trip I was about to embark on, because we obviously stopped on the way yeah. across the... You know, it took us a few days. Was, it was about to be a 25-hour straight drive, <laughs> which I took on. I left the next day. I left early in the morning. Without GPS, Robbie? I, Without GPS? No GPS. Milan and Eddie just drove, they got out of the way. I must say, it was a very makeshift map. And uh, <laughs> I enjoyed, they told me just, they said stick to the coast road. And, to, and you go past Ryuka, and you go back up into the mountains where we came from, came from down past Ljubljana. <laughs> I think I said for the dinner. Yeah, it wasn't for the dinner. It was Ljubljana. And you go up into the mountains, you go into Austria. And to be fair, from there, it was basically a straight road. You know, Germany was unbelievable because it's the, the autobahns. Yeah. Mate, I was doing 220. It was a, it was a Mercedes, uh, quite a nice Mercedes. I was doing about 220, 230, 240. Mate, it was, no, not 240, that's a lie. It was probably 200, <laughs> 180 to 200. And those cars flying past me. And um, anyway, I drove that whole trip, mate, that, the drive up the coast road. From Dubrovnik up to Ljubljana was the most off thing. I thought it was, it was like it, it, it was like something out of a, a Mission Impossible movie. <laughs> mate, it hugged the coastline on a cliff with no fences, and mate, you know, I thought, mate, I'm going to die. I'm going off this cliff. Anyway, I drove and I stopped periodically for like twenty minutes here and there to drink some coffee. Um, and fill up petrol, of course, and I arrived back in Brussels two days before my trial. And at this stage, obviously, you have to 
realised I wasn't exactly the the greatest state of fitness. Yeah. Um, yeah, I always looked after myself, so it's, you know, it's not that I was overweight, but obviously I hadn't trained for a while. Anyway, I got back to Brussels, and I remember being depressed. I got back to Brussels in the early early evening, about, I think it was about 6 p.m. I went back to my little apartment, uh, which was little, uh, and uh, well, what am I going to do? I, so I was driving down uh, in two days' time. I had one day to... Uh, to get myself ready, so I thought oh, well, there was nothing else to do. So I went to the, the local cafe and got full of drink and, <laughs> uh, and went to bed. Got up the next day and uh, you know tried to have a you know a normal day, did a bit of a run, not too much because if I was going to do too much, I'd be stuck the next day. That night, tried to have an early sleep. Met with Vladi, uh, had dinner. Uh, he picked me up the next morning and we drove to France down to Lons on a Sunday. Uh, or I think it was a Monday. I think it was a public holiday. Uh, but anyway, I know this story is very long, but it's it's very true. And anyway, the next next day we drove to Longs. We arrived in Longs on a public holiday. Um, and you were you were wondering where on earth you were then? Sorry. You must have been wondering where on earth you'd landed. I had no idea. It was a small town. Yeah. Uh, wasn't particularly pretty. Um, because it was empty, there was no light, if you know what I mean. It was empty, and Gladi took me to the, you know, not exactly the best place in town, but it was the only place in town that had a cafe open. It was the Gar. Uh, <laughs> the Gar, you know, yeah. <laughs> which, in to, which today in Lance is a very, very nice place, but I can tell you, back in 1990, it wasn't. It was a dump. And we went into this old coffee, coffee shop, that by the time I got back to Long, well, that in the future, in six months' time, would become a major place where all of us players used to go. It was called the Cafe Lake. Um, but at this stage, it hadn't been refurbished. And they, I went in there and had, we had a coffee because we were a bit early. Two guys had a, they looked like bums, had a fight. It was a thoroughly depressing, and I'm looking at Brady thinking, mate, I've got, there's no chance I'm coming here. And Brady goes, Okay, look, it's all right. We're going to go to the stadium. We're going to meet the director sportif, Jean-Luc Lamarche, who became a personal friend of mine over the years of my time there. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to go. Yeah, so we're going to go to the stadium. We're going to meet him, and then we're going to drive to to to, to a ground. They've got a they've got a friendly game. I don't know why this game was ever arranged, but it was against Rams. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know where the champagne's made. Yeah. Uh, um, and it was in the middle of nowhere. Anyway, we're not there yet. We anyway, we came out of the coffee shop. Me thoroughly convinced that there's no chance in the world I'm coming here. Um, <laughs> and we drove a very short drive. It would have been a kilometre and a half, maybe two k. We got to the end of the road. We went down a straight road, and we got to a, a sort of major set of lights, if you can call that, in Long. And off to the left, there was a, like a little lane that went into a bushland, and that's where we went. And we went up this laneway, and as we went up the laneway, about a hundred meters or so, I looked to my left, and this massive stadium appeared out of nowhere. And I went, "What the fuck?" <laughs> and I looked at Pavlovich, and I said, "And Pavlovich smiled, and he said, they're a big club. He said they want to go straight back up. They shouldn't be in the second division. 
this would be the second year in the second division, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and we pulled up and into this driveway that you know, it wasn't a driveway, it was the entrance to the stadium. It was like a fucking palace. And we pulled into a, a, basically an empty car park. There was a few cars. Um, and I got out of my car and what I, Jean-Luc Lamarck got out of his car. I didn't know him at this stage. And I met him, shook hands. He didn't speak any English. As nobody, as I told you, speaks speak English <laughs> in Islam. And um, they started talking. And I said to Vadi, I said, oh, do we have to leave? He said, well, he said oh, we'll be leaving in 20 minutes. The bus is already gone with the other players. I said, oh, all right. So this was now pr- probably approaching around, it's hard to say, it was probably around 1 o'clock in the afternoon, one thirty in the afternoon. And I said, oh, I just want to go and have a look at the stadium. So I walked up and the gate was open and I walked, walked up into the stand. The stadium was completely empty, mm-hmm. completely empty. And it was massive. I mean, you know, later on in my time there, we would break the record for spectators against a very fa- a, a very famous game against Marseille, mm-hmm. which broke the record for France at that time, which was near on 50,000 people. And um, I got to the stairs, so I was midway up the stand, and I looked out and I went, and I actually got goosebumps. And I thought, I want to play here. And in my mind, obviously, and I, I stood there for a few moments imagining, you know, what it would be like. And anyway... To speed up the story, I went down the stairs, got into Vladi's car, and we followed, I think we followed John Luke Lamarcci up to this, you know, it was like, it wasn't that far away, probably 20 minute drive, but, mm-hmm. but it was through the country, through the country, and, you know, the country around Longs is not that nice, it's, it's, and the, the, I'll tell you one thing, that is nice, that I was allowed to find out, and forever hold dear to this day, is the people, uh, are the best people in the world, in my in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're from, you know, coal mines and, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of people that didn't have a lot of money, if you want to put it like that. And uh, the, the, the surroundings for some parts are not, you know, filled with the slag heaps from the coal mines. And, and anyway, we drove about 20 and we come up and all of a sudden, it was a little stadium. It was, you know, obviously a, a country town team. Um, there was all these mad people running around in in Sion, which I would find out. Mm-hmm. And in red and yellow. Sorry, yeah, red and yellow. And I yeah. looked at what's happening? He said, Well, you don't understand. Long supporters are famous in France. They're crazy. They're obsessed. They're, they're called, they called them the number one supporters in France. I go, I don't know. There was hundreds of them. And we parked a little way and we got out and we walked towards this little stadium. And there was just hundreds of supporters, like hundreds. And and I thought, this is really strange. It just had a really strange feel about it. And I didn't have a clue who the club was. I didn't even know they were in red and yellow. I didn't know who Rams were. Uh, apparently, uh, well, obviously, they were another second division team that, that had beaten Longs quite convincingly uh, in the second division that year. So the, mm-hmm. on the day of the game, for whatever reason this game was, uh, Longs were certainly not favourites. I would find out a lot later. Anyway, I arrived there with no, you know, no ticket, no nothing, because I had no idea what was going on. And I had my bag, and I walked into a tiny little dressing room, got introduced. There must have been a, a couple, a few thousand people in the stadium by the time I came out to warm up. 
I thought, this is absolutely crazy. But a few thousand people made this little stadium like jam-packed. Mm-hmm. Like it was just packed. I thought, what the fuck is going on here? And I met uh, the players, obviously, who didn't know me, I didn't know them, none of them spoke English, only someone who would become my best man at the wedding, Jean-Guy Valem, a rough-looking character with a beard. Yeah. He spoke a little bit of English, a little bit of English, and uh, he would become my best friend there. Um, and as I said, would be best man at my wedding. And he sort of said, uh, you, da 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 and I, yeah, I went out, yeah, whatever, fucking, let's get on the way. So we went out, walked up. <laughs> Uh, and we we played and you know I, I, for some reason or not I don't know how but I had a really good game <laughs> and we won six one I think it was about six one I scored I scored a trick um, <laughs> which wasn't supposed to happen but I didn't know I thought the way the game went I actually thought this team are really shit they must be a non league team or something <laughs> I was thinking in my mind and and. We smashed them six one, and I ran around like a fucking idiot for ninety minutes. Um, and I always remember at the end of the game, the supporters that ran on and started running around me, and I thought, "Well, oh, this is kind of nice. I haven't had this for for a long time." And <laughs> after my disaster underly, and the president, who I didn't know was the president, but this man, beautifully groomed, uh, who I'd later find out was Jeffy Martel, he strode out into the middle of the ground where I was. He walked straight up to me and he, he looked at me in the eye and he said, Robbie, you will become a Lions player. And just smiled at me. And I looked at him and I went, oh, okay. And they were the last words of English he ever spoke to me. <laughs> he could not speak a word of fucking English. I don't know how he ever came out with it. But anyway, I walked off and sort of players, you know, as players do, we all had a shower and I came out to the dressing room and, Arno de Tontos, the, the coach, came up and Arno didn't speak any English at all, which <laughs> maybe later on we'll find out. And um, I went away and I got in the, in the car and I was sweating, I was knackered. And Pilate looked at me and smiled and I went, what the fuck are you smiling at? And I, I go, that is the weirdest, I mean, this is the weirdest day I've ever had in my life. And I can tell you, Pilate, I've had some weird ones. <laughs> and... And we drove back and we stopped and had something to eat on the way and it was one of the greatest, one of the happiest hour and a half drives I had back to Brussels that I've ever had. And uh, I get quite quite emotional when I think of this. And um, we talked about contract, what I would get. Um, you'd get double what you're getting at long, uh, under legs and this and that. And, and I remember getting back to Bay, it was just so surreal. Anyway, as it happened, I can't really, it's sort of blurry at the moment, the exact next steps, but I became a Lions player. I and went down to Lions and I, I signed a contract within days. Um, pre-season was, was to start. It was imminent. And um, I remember that strike. The World Cup was fucking on. The World Cup was on in um, 1990. In Italy. It, 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 yeah, Italy 90. So I had my apartment in Brussels, so I went down... And um, they were still on holiday. So, you know, Eddie and Milan, they, they weren't back yet. So I stayed, and I went down to Lons, and I remember they put me up. And this is how hard times were. They didn't even put me up in a hotel. And, this was, and they put me up in the centre of the formation, which is where all the young players go. Yeah. And I had this little fucking room 
had this little room. There was one bed. Um, it was tiny. One bed. I think it had a toilet in it. And a little basin. And, and that was it. And, yeah, it was smaller. Not a lot smaller. I only had a small apartment in Brussels. But for some reason, it didn't depress me. I was, <laughs> I was quite happy. But what I did... What I did that no one knows, no one knows the lot. I don't think I think I wrote it in my book, but my my first couple of weeks because I just I didn't like the one room, and Gladi assured me it was a temporary measure before I got into a hotel. Anyway, I used to drive. I used to do training. Well, I think we did two trainings a day, um, and I'd drive back to Brussels because it wasn't that far, mm. and I'd watch the World Cup. I'd watch some World Cup games. And then I'd drive back uh, the next morning to train. And I did that for a couple of weeks, which is a rather stupid thing to do. But there was nowhere to watch it. I would have had to watch it in the common room at some place, which wouldn't have been a problem. But anyway, it was a weird couple of weeks. Eventually, <clears throat> I would move into a hotel, the Spes Dollar, which was on the parking, basically on the parking next to the, the stadium. So, mm-hmm. And off I went and the pre-season started and the rest is history, they say. Well, Robbie, it, in your own inimitable style, that was a very beautiful story. <laughs> yeah, it's an amazing story. It's, it's, because it's this really is this story. is also a place that changed your life, though, isn't it? Completely. I mean, you came That's from what could have been a disaster at Underlecht to becoming a, a, a club legend. You helped them back. You It changed your life off the pitch as well. You got married. You you, you learnt French. You, you, you made yeah. all these mates for it's life. A life. It's a life-changing event that so nearly never happened. Yeah. Uh, and was completely by luck in so many ways. The, the, the fact that I wouldn't have gone if Milan Jankovic didn't have a car there probably, uh, if Eddie didn't force me to go. Um, yeah, there's so many things that, that I mightn't have had a good game that day. Yeah. yeah. I had no really right to. I didn't score many goals from Lons and I always remember in future years, <laughs> Jeremy Martel when we'd speak French. <laughs> oh, that's not true. You did score a couple, a couple of good goals as well. Uh, so 
because we were going away on stage, you know, mm-hmm. for a pretty yeah. decent camp. And um, but in my in my hotel, on top of the training we do, and for six months I stayed there before I actually found someone. All three or four, it was at least four months. But I, I would wake up in the middle of the night, and I had that much energy. I'd go and kick the ball around at three in the morning in the car park, uh, and the fucking concierge who became a firm lifetime friend and. And the, and the concierge lived there with his family and they spoke no English, I spoke no French. They taught me French from a dictionary that translated English to French and vice versa. Mm-hmm. But they thought I was fucking mad. They thought I was mad. I used to get up and, and kick the ball out of the car park on different nights when I couldn't sleep. And so I was a very obsessed person. And obviously, you know, we kicked off and off we went. Uh, the second division was a battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it didn't start well. It was. Um, it started well for me, as I, I sort of fell in love with the supporters virtually straight away, and they did with me straight away. Mm-hmm. I think my first ever game was a at a very good game or whatever it was, and but I think the the long they loved their back on uh, because it's a working class town, it's a working class area. Uh, they love fighters, and in me they got a fighter, not only a fighter, but they got something very different that I think. Not only Lawrence, but France had seen was this red-headed fucking kangaroo who ran around like a lunatic, <laughs> uh, and and they loved that, and they loved that. They thought I was crazy. The players thought I was crazy, and and I, I guess I was a little bit crazy, and uh, but I was very determined. But in spite of all that, the the, the, the first ten games I think found us near very near the bottom, if not bottom, mm-hmm. of the table. And I remember coming back from an away trip. And the money was scarce at Lons, right? It was obviously a tight budget, which I found out, um, because away games, we travelled on a little minibus. And can I tell you, France is a fucking big country. And, uh, <laughs> Marseille uh, a in a minibus. Mate, a lot of, a lot of games, uh, well, a lot of games, we spent like eight, nine hours in a minibus to get there the day before, and then we'd leave straight after the game. So quite often we'd get home at, Three, four, four a.m. in the morning after games, and um, what after one? I think it was after about nine or ten games. I think we went to tour, and we lost one nil. Uh, we were quite unlucky. I remember hitting the crossbar. And anyway, I really liked the gravity of the situation, even though I didn't. I had mastered the language, although I was, you know, using most of the swear words by that stage because <laughs> of the players were great features. Mm-hmm. Um, but we got back into what was a very famous place. In fact, I had my bucks party there. It was a place called Whitehorse, and it was on the outskirts towards Arras, and it was a nightclub, a restaurant nightclub, and that's where we went. My whole time when I was at Lawrence, was, that's where we went. That was like the players' lounge, if you want. Anyway, we're at the bar having a, a, a beer after this game against Tour. I'm pretty sure it was Tour. And I was sitting with the president who had become... You know, a, a, you know, very friend. It was that kind of club, you know? Yeah. And, um, well, he was he was a big fan, wasn't he, Gervais? Gervais, right. was, first and foremost, yeah, he was yeah. a fan. Yeah, and we we friend I spoke to him only a year or so ago. Um, anyway, he sat down and he was fucking depressed and he, he looked at me and he said, if we lose next week, and he said in French, and I understood by this date, then I resign. Me being the typical idiot Australian said, oh, well, if you go, I'll go. I don't know what that would have fucking done, but anyway. And um, 
anyway, we, I, I remember we played, the next game we played, I think it was Angers. Mm-hmm. It might have been Angers, but it, oh no, it was Laval. It was Laval. We played them at home on a Sunday afternoon, a three o'clock kickoff. And I would later find out that if we'd lost that game or not won it, the coach and president were gone. Arnold DeSantis, who was a fantastic man uh, and a great coach, um, taught me so much. Um, and we won. We won 2-0. Uh, I always remember, actually, Jongi Valem scored the second. I remember setting up, I think Roger Bolli, uh surprise, surprise, scored the first. Mm-hmm. And Jongi scored the second. We won 2-0. And that was it. We went off on a run that, that saw us going to the the playoffs, yeah. um, which were very famous. A famous um, playoff against Strasbourg, yeah? Oh, mate, it was unbelievable. The, the atmosphere. The, I, I actually watched it the other night. My daughter got it up on... Uh, it's on you, you can get these games. I never knew you could get these games. She got up so many games uh, of me playing for longs. And the, the Strasbourg game, the, the double game, was, was amazing. Two yeah. massive crowds. Obviously, Bollard full to the, bursting to the seams now. Over, well, we broke the record. I'm not sure, if, I think it was the next year when we played Marseille, which yeah, like the official the... bid was 48,900 something. But there must have been close to that against Strasbourg. It must have been roughly the same. And we drew 1 1 the, 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 the match, the match elite. And the, the return match, we won 3-1, which sent us through to a, a playoff against the team from the first division, which was Toulouse, mm-hmm. which ended in massive disappointment. Yeah. We lost 4-0 the first, first game away. It was extraordinary. And um, we came home with little help. We won We won the return game 1-0. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we were out. And I remember it was devastation. We'd had, but again, cutting this a little bit short, uh, we had a planned trip away, which we... We all went on, and um, it was basically the whole team. And Nano de Santos, the coach, went. We went to Agadir in Portugal, mm-hmm. uh, Morocco, sorry, Morocco. Um, it was a fantastic trip. Uh, although we were suffering from the obvious, the obvious, you know, defeat to Toulouse that meant we weren't going in the first division. And about halfway through the trip. Uh, a very excited, I can't remember who came with the news, but news filtered through that uh, Longs may be uh, promoted because of uh, financial um, irregularities. Yeah. I think it was Nice. Um, and that sort of lingered for a day, and we were, got all this, and, and then the players started. Uh, there was about eight of us players there. Pierre Legler, Eric Sikora, mm-hmm. Balam, I think Arsene, uh, Jim uh, Jovi Boko. Mm-hmm. Oh no, I think he came. I think he came out the year after. A great man. I actually got a tweet from him. I think he was there. <laughs> I think he was there that, yeah. with Bernard Lamar. Yes, yeah, and yeah. Um, so what you know, what what you had at long was a, we were like a, a band of brothers. You know, we were we were all very close, very close. Um, uh, Francis Gillot was there, I yeah. think, mm-hmm. uh, his wife, yeah, and um, anyway, the next day the confirmation came through, and you can imagine what it was like, it was fucking party time, we were going into the first division, and um, it was a bit surreal, um, 
and amazing. And obviously, we drank a lot <laughs> for the remainder of the trip, and rejoiced in the fact that we would go and be going into the first division when we got back. You, you had the next three years in the first division. There was, I'm just looking, that famous victory over Marseille at Bollard, 49,000 people at, at, at Bollard for that one. That, the, that the stadium was reduced after that for the, for the World Cup in 98. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And um, that, was, that broke the record for, at that time of, of uh, you know, that was the crowd record in France. Yeah. Uh, that stood obviously. That stood until obviously bigger stadiums were made and the World Cup, which transformed French football. To be honest, um, you've mentioned a few. Time. You've mentioned a, a few players, the ones that you played with. I actually spoke to Bernard Lamar at a PSG game last season, and and he said, "Where's your accent from?" And I said, "Australia." And he immediately said, "I played with an Australian, you know." And before yeah. he said your name, he said, "He was crazy." And I said, ah, yeah, I know. I know who you're talking about. I've worked with him. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, uh, he was a very good friend. He only played, he played that first season with yeah. Bernard Lama. Because, of course, he was the French keeper. Mm-hmm. Um, he was an amazing keeper. And you know, we had a great season that first season. Uh, everyone tipped us, I remember, uh, to come last. Because... Because Lyle's had no fucking money, so we didn't really buy any, any players. Yeah. Um, yeah, and in that first season in the second division, I was the, the there were three foreigners. Um, I think only two could play in the second division, but they bought a player called Bob Anbozovic, who was their big mm-hmm. signing, right? I wasn't their big signing, I didn't fucking know. But poor old Bob Ann, I, don't know, I think he played maybe two games for, for Marseille. He snapped his Achilles tendon. Uh, he was Yugoslav. He was from. I think he played for Sarajevo. They got him from Sarajevo. Mm-hmm. And there was another player. There was another player called Roja, who actually played in the 1998 World Cup for Paraguay. And um, he was signed in that year. And but he was a bit of a disaster. He was a strange sort of fella. Um, <laughs> I think he only stayed the one year. He didn't. He, he just didn't heat it off. He was obviously a good player. Yeah. But. Um, um, which was obvious by the fact that he played in the World Cup in 98 uh, for Paraguay. Um, anyway, I, I became the, pretty much the only foreigner that played, you know, in, in, in that season. Rojas was sort of on the bench most of the time from memory, and Bozovic was injured the whole season. But anyway, going into the second division, they, they didn't sign anyone. I can't remember anyone we signed. I think we signed a couple, but yeah, I can't. I'm exactly. trying to think. The second season, you had Francois Omenbeek, didn't you? He, he arrived the That's second right. season we, in the top club. We had Lama, we had Big. Uh, what a great man. Yeah. What a great man. Such a beautiful man. Of course, he was he was very famous, of course, by scoring the opening goal in, was it Italy? Italian 90, yeah, yeah, against Argentina. Against Argentina, Maradona. Yeah. Which was player. And I remember him speaking of Maradona and how good it was playing against him, Francois, and... Uh, Little did I know that three years later I, I would have my turn to play against the great man in Sydney. But um, I remember saying to Francois that what a dream it must have been to play against the greatest player of all time, or arguably the greatest player of all time. Yeah, I and, agree. Uh, I remember saying to him, I said, I don't think I'll ever be... I actually said to him, I said, mate, Australia, 
I don't think we'll ever be, get the chance to play against Argentina. And it was amazing. And three years later, we would. But but that first season was amazing. It was a roller roller coaster of pretty much good times, of uh, full stadiums, of uh, playing against great teams. Because what you need to understand, and what a lot of people in in Australia don't understand, is that my career, the way it went, you said at the start of the podcast, I was an established international. Yeah. I played at the Olympics before I went to Europe. Mm-hmm. And very, very different to some other players. But in those days, like, you know, if you talk about Harry Kuehl's and Lucas Nell's and Kale, when it's 16-year-olds, I think Craig Moore. But they were really the exception. Yeah. In my day, us pioneers, uh, and the Arnolds and Didmars, uh, Jelic's, even the Duca, <coughs> excuse me, all played in the NFL before they left. Now, yeah. for me, I arrived in, I think I arrived in Underleaf, I was 24. Yeah. People don't realise that in Australia. And by the time I arrived in Lyons, I was 25. By the time, four years later, I would sign for Blackburn Rovers and win a Premier League, um, I was nearly 30. And a lot of people... But you no, weren't, Robbie. I, I, I was thinking of, I was thinking about this because you weren't, you weren't investments back in those days. Now you you buy a sixteen-year-old or no. an eighteen-year-old because you think you're going to make a lot of money back on him. In in your day, and this is it. This is honestly what I was thinking. You you let someone. You're spending money, a lot of money on someone. You want to know that they can do the job first. So yeah. you know you wait till they're twenty-three, twenty-four. They've shown what they can do. Then you bring them over. So that, it's, uh, in respect to that as well, um, and that's, 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 that's right, because it was at the end of my time in England when I came back to Australia at 33 mm-hmm. that that started to change. You know, when I signed for Blackburn Rovers, that's when it started to change. Yeah, It started to change because Blackburn broke the record transfer fee. They paid £5 million pounds for, for, for Chris Sutton from Norwich. And obviously that was the start uh, of it was just the very start of England and the the EPL yeah. starting to buy a lot of foreign players. When I arrived in the first year in Blackburn, I'm all going off track here. When I arrived <laughs> in Blackburn Rovers, there was only about three or four foreigners in England. You were the only the one time. born in Lancashire, weren't you? Yeah. In that Blackburn side. Yeah, that's right. And, but there was only Eric Cantona, I think, was the who obviously had signed for Manchester United after Leeds. Yeah, and. Um, and um, anyway, that's a whole different. Yeah, story. let's let's but, Robbie. Um, I have a, a question just because I know you you you're busy and I know you like to talk. So this might be the last question. I suspect that th- your last season or this yeah, I think it was your last season at Lens. You're also mm-hmm. playing in this World Cup qualifying campaign. So November '93. Yes. How was that? Because Frank said it was very difficult at Strasbourg going back to Australia. I guess you were travelling with him uh, a lot of the time with Frank. Was it hard for Australians no, to travel back? Yeah, it was very hard, mate. We paid our own effort. You know, um, uh, you, know you have to go back with my time at Lons because this the, 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 the World Cup campaign for USA 94 yeah. destroyed my career at Lons probably in a lot of ways because I was hardly there. Um, yeah. Patrice Berg had taken over. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a few few new players time, but I was away that that much. That, you know, I ended up on the bench at Longs uh, quite a lot in the in my last month at Longs. Purely given the World Cup campaign we'd had, 
don't forget well, I had to go back in between seasons in between in between se- at the end of season uh, 92 93 mm-hmm. I had to go for the uh, to play against the the Oceania group, uh, you know New Zealand, obviously culminating and all that, and that's when people in Australia know Eddie Thompson, God bless him, one of my great mentors, um, was coach, and he, uh, I hadn't been back, <laughs> I hadn't been back in, in, I I hadn't been back since I'd left the country, yeah, underlift. Yeah. Uh, apart from a brief stint when, when I went back when I was at Adelaide, which stuffed up my Adelaide career, but that's another story. But I went back, and Australia, in some ways, discovered a completely new me. They hadn't seen me because no one really saw the French League. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. We, we, and still to this day, is the same that we follow pretty much the English League. Uh, what happens in the other leagues? Okay, we know a bit more now because of the emergence of. Paris Saint-Germain, for example, um, and the Champions League, and, and the fact that everything is more visible now. Yeah. You can see League One on the television. Back then, you, you couldn't, mm-hmm. and certainly not League Two. But anyway, you know, we played the Oceania series, so I had no break, really, that season. We entered into the 93-94 season. Uh, um, I came back with, you know, obviously no break. Then I had to fly off to play Canada. Yeah. Uh, and that qualified us to play for Argentina, obviously, which was very surreal. Um, and an amazing experience, those two games. But it left me drained yeah. for the longs. And obviously when you lose, you know, and those two games were massive in Australia and Buenos Aires. Um, and obviously I had uh, a particular famous game in Sydney where... Uh, I gained world recognition because of because of Maradona, um, but that took a lot out of you. Yeah. And uh, and coming back to Lawrence, and you know there was obviously that was the end of November, going into the Christmas we had a, a, a sort of short winter break, but then as so often is the case the four years title always ended in fucking disaster for Australia, and. Um, <laughs> Um, you know, you don't realise at the time, but you go through a slight depression, if you want to mean. Yeah. You know, the, yeah, the, uh, the heights and the hopes of making the World Cup and then the heights of playing Maradona. And he gave me world recognition by saying I should have been playing in Italy. Uh, but at Longs, it went very much the other way. And, and but on that, that uh, on the strength of what I've done and what Maradona said, and also the strength of what I've done, because... The year before, Graeme Souness, when he was in charge at Liverpool, tried to sign me, mm-hmm. uh, but was knocked back because, because Liverpool said I was too old. Um, but anyway, that's another story. Uh, but a lot of English clubs came in for me at the end of that 94 season, and which would end my time at Longs yeah. very emotionally. Because uh, I actually was offered a, a new contract with Longs, but it was time to leave. It was time to pursue a dream of playing in England. I grew up a Liverpool supporter. I grew up, um, you know, obviously, um, it's a whole other podcast how I got to England because I was supposed to go to fucking Aston Villa where I spent a week. <laughs> and I ended up driving up the road and meeting Kenny Dalglish, who was my idol as a kid, and I yeah. just signed without even knowing what I was going to earn. Um, <laughs> and 
and my last time at Longs was ironically it was against Frank Farina who had signed for Lille. Um, it was it was the opening of the season for Longs. I didn't play. Yeah. Um, because Did... I'd already signed at Blackburn and I was leaving, but it was the last game I was to watch, and it was very emotional. And I actually gave a farewell uh, at half time. I walked out with a microphone and they filmed it. Uh, and I said goodbye to the, the, the Longs crowd. It was very emotional. Uh, I don't think any player, Longs players, ever done that. Mm. Uh, and, um, you know, like, mate, let's face it, when I arrived in Longs for that, that friendly, you know, four years before, I arrived with nothing, mate. I arrived with no hope. Uh, I arrived in despair. I walked away four years, and I said this in my farewell speech, and I'm getting used to saying this. Uh, I've been embraced by a, by a public, by a group of supporters that genuinely loved me, and I love them, and I still do today. It was a very, uh, it was a very, um, uh, it was a club like a big family. Uh, it was hard to leave, but I told them that I arrived with nothing, and that I was leaving with a, with a, a wife who was Alon's wife, and soon to have a child and that I'd be forever linked to, to this wonderful club and this wonderful town and this wonderful area. But, uh, and that night, I remember Lons drew 1-1 yeah. with Lille. And that night, I went to the last ever, you know, the after dinner with the players and that, you know, like the players lounge. In France, they did it different. You'd have a dinner. Yeah. And I met, uh, I met who would be one of my replacements, uh, Mark Vivian Foley, the tragic, mm-hmm. fantastic yeah, player yeah. That, uh, that ended up collapsing at the Manchester City, as we know. I met him, uh, and uh, on the way out, and we spoke for quite some time about the club. And I said, "Told him, mate, you're very lucky. How much you're going to love this place, and the players will look after you, the town will look after you." And, and my final thing, I always remember something I've never ever forgot, is I walked out, as I had done the very first time I saw it, I walked, but it was daytime that time, all those years ago when I walked out and then, and got the goosebumps and said I'll play in the stadium one day, I walked out for the last time on the dollar, well it wasn't the last time, but it was the last time as a player, uh, because obviously I went back in years to come, for, yeah. for example, Roger Bolly's testimonial, but anyway, um, it was pitch black, the lights were off, there was no one there. And I bent down and I kissed the pelouse the of Lance. Yeah. yeah. And I thanked the stadium for what it had given me. And off I went. I'm going to cry, Robbie. Yeah, I, I am, nearly. <laughs> I, get, I, I get very emotional when I think about it. It's fantastic. It's beautiful to hear. Yeah, it's mm. it's um it shows what football can do to a to an old brute like yourself. Yeah, it does. It's, yeah. It, it is an, an amazing and most unlikely um, marriage. Yeah. Uh, that, that it was. It, it came completely by by chance, and uh, it was fantastic.